And it's through you and through you only that we have forgiveness of sin, that we have living hope, that we have eternal life. It is through you and you only that we can find salvation offered to us through grace. And so Jesus, we thank you for your life and your death and your resurrection. And would you just bring us closer and closer to that truth this morning? And Father, that that would land on our hearts and minds. Father, as we continue to worship you through our through being in your word, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to embrace and minds to critically process what it is that you want to say to us this morning. And we pray these these things in the victorious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, and when, uh, when you do a, uh, a, a, a search, you enter uh, leadership qualities, leadership characteristics into, uh, into your Google search here. Um, there's a lot of things that, that will pop up when it talks about leadership. Um, there, there's empathy, there's authenticity, self-awareness, courage, integrity, flexibility, lifelong learners, delegation, commitment, vision. Those are the top 10, by the way really good leadership qualities. Uh, let's just round it out to the top 15. Influence, team building and collaboration, strong communication skills, accountability, and resilience. I mean, I don't think any of us would argue that those are really good characteristics, really good qualities of any leaders that, that we want uh, to be around or even of ourselves as leaders. But, but there's one quality, there's one characteristic that show up very much on a Google search on leadership qualities, but it's perhaps one of the most, if not most important quality that a leader could have. And and that characteristic is humility. That humility is so key when it comes to not just life, but, but, but also, also leadership, because it's, it's humility that enables us to, uh, to take our eyes off ourselves and put it on Others to take take our, our our focus off ourselves and and put our focus on those around us and that is an incredible leadership quality that we all want in our leaders and it's a leadership quality that that I think that we all want in our own lives and so this morning as we continue our series uh, we're going to look towards the humility of Jesus and the humility of Jesus and as we look towards the humility of Jesus we. Uh, we see three things that we're gonna discover in Philippians chapter two. Let me just give them to you up front and then we'll unpack them as we go along. But this morning, uh, we're gonna look, we're gonna see the freedom uh, of humility. Uh, We're gonna see the example of humility and then the blessing from humility. That's that's where we're going this morning. We're gonna see the the freedom of humility, the uh, example of humility and the blessing from humility. Humility. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I'd like to invite you to turn to Philippians chapter two. And if you didn't bring your Bibles, we're gonna put it up on the screen this morning or you can pull it up on your phone. Um, but we're in the middle of this series uh, on the book of Philippians uh, called uh, True Confidence. And there's a lot of things that you and I, we can put our 
confidence in, but when you really think about it, everything that the world offers to put our confidence in, maybe it's a, a job, a position, a title, an income, our, our youth, our, our wealth, our health, our GPA, our 401k, anything that we tend to put our confidence in doesn't really offer us true confidence because those things, they're temporary at best. And so the only real thing that we can put our confidence in is, is Jesus, a relationship with Jesus through faith. And that's where we find our identity. And when we find our identity in what Jesus has done for us, in other words, we have all the acceptance, approval, significance, and uh, security, hope, and love found in what Jesus Christ has done for us through his life, death, and resurrection, when we find that to be our identity, well then, who cares what that group says about me? Because Jesus says this about me. Who cares if I was rejected over here? Now, I'm not minimizing the pain and all that, but it does help us have true confidence in any situation when our confidence comes from Christ. Well, let's kind of summarize where we were last week because chapter two is just really a continuation of chapter one. In fact, when Paul wrote this letter to the church in Philippi, he didn't put the little numbers of verses in. He didn't decide how many chapters, you know, people did that later on. And so chapter two just, uh, or chapter one just flows into chapter two. So so we spent three weeks in chapter one and we ended up last week and Paul says this. He says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And that word conduct, if you were here last week, uh, means to act as citizens. And that you and I are to act as citizens of the kingdom of God. That, that this world, this earth, this life is temporary and it's about this long in compared to eternity. And so let's start acting like King, like citizens of the kingdom of God now. And so he goes on and he says, hey, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. In other words, we are to be locked arms with one another as we live as citizens of the kingdom of God. And then he, he closes out in verse 29. He says, and for it has been for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also suffer for him. And that, that phrase granted, uh, granted to you means grace to you to suffer for Jesus. And so the whole morning last week was about how our, our faith grows through moments of opposition. That there's nothing quite opposition. There's nothing like a storm. There's nothing like a difficult time, unfortunately, that causes our faith to grow. But, it, but when we look back over our life and we see when our faith grew the most, it usually is accompanied by some type of suffering. And so then Paul begins the next thought, not, you know, in chapter two, he says, therefore, in other words, in light of everything that we just talked about, in light of suffering, in light of being bonded together, in light of acting like a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness or compassion, then make my joy complete. Being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and, and of one mind, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. So, so Paul says, he says, hey, 
don't do anything out of selfishness or, or vain conceit. Well, <clears throat> that or selfish ambition, that, that, that phrase selfish ambition, uh, it's the idea that we would act out of selfishness. Okay. Uh, in other words, that we're always looking out for number one. We're always looking out for ourselves in every relationship and every friendship. We're always looking out for ourselves and, and uh, vain conceit. It literally means empty glory. In other words, the, the glory that comes from this, it begins and it ends with us. In other words, we're the only ones who benefit from our actions. And Paul says, do nothing out of, uh, out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Now, now, remember, when we first started this series, we, we talked about the word encourage. And a lot of times we think the word encourage means, oh, I love your outfit today. You look like you jumped out of a winter catalog, you know, or I love your house or your, uh, or your kids are so well behaved. Now, I've never really heard that one, but, but, but I've heard other people, you know, get it for them, uh, but for their kids. Uh, but, but I mean, that, so we think that's encouragement, but the word encourage, it comes, the root word is courage and, and the prefix of that in, it means to put into or cause courage to well up into that person. And that's what Paul is trying to do here in Philippians. He's causing courage to well up in them. And, he's, and Paul says, don't operate out of selfishness, but value others above yourselves. Don't look to your own interest only, but also to the interest of others. And, and here's the secret sauce in this. In other for, in, 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 for us to be able to look at other people's interests, for us to not act selfishly, it requires humility. Because humility frees us up to look at others and not ourselves. And, and, and what, what, if, what if this happened in the workplace, that that's just how we were to, that became a core value of our office is we're gonna walk in humility. We're gonna, we're gonna look out for the interest of others. We're, gonna, we're not gonna look out for our own interest. What, what if this was the, you know, kind of the core values at, 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 on our campuses that we're gonna walk in humility. We're not just gonna be out for us, but we're gonna look out for the interest of others. What if this became the way we, you know, one of our core values as a family what kind of difference would it make at home if we were to walk in humility and look out for the interest of others, even our little brothers and sisters? What, what kind of difference would that make? But, but here's the deal. The, the thing that kills humility faster than anything is pride. And pride is the preoccupation of self. See, when we're so occupied, preoccupied with ourselves, we, we fall into the trap of comparison. We fall into the trap of insecurity. We fall into the trap of jealousy. And, and, and we're not freed up to, to look at others because we're constantly looking at ourselves and looking at, we, what, at what we have or what we don't have. And the thing that kills humility in anyone faster than anything else is pride. It's the preoccupation of self. Now, now what is humility though? Well, maybe you've heard that humility is not thinking less of yourself, okay? It's not thinking, oh, I'm no good. You know, I can't do it. I'm not good enough. It's not thinking less of yourself, but humility is thinking of yourself less. See the difference in that? It's thinking of yourself less. In other words, it's thinking of others. It's thinking of God more than you're thinking of 
are, is more than we're thinking of ourselves. And when we do that, when we think of ourselves less, it frees us up from comparison. It frees us up from insecurity. It frees us up from, uh, from, being, uh, from being focused on ourselves and ourselves only. But there's another layer in humility. Because it's not just thinking of ourselves less, but it's also thinking of others more and thinking more of others. It, in other words, I mean, it's real easy. I mean, it's easy to say. It may not be easy to do. Uh, it, it's giving other people the benefit of the doubt. It, it's showing grace to other people. It's, it's extending mercy, undeserved mercy, the same undeserved mercy that God extends to us. It's seeing people, and we talked about this the first week, it's seeing people in a process of transformation. But here's the deal. Some of us, and you don't have to raise your hand because we don't want to be this honest in church. Um, but is there anybody in your life where their name gets brought up? I mean, you just start to seethe inside. Anybody want to? No, 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 don't do that. Because no. uh, they may be sitting beside you. I don't know. Uh, but, but you know what it's like. I mean, somebody brings up that person's name and maybe, maybe it's an ex-husband or ex-wife or, or maybe it's a former boss or a former coworker or, or maybe it's a, 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 you know, a friend or a classmate or, 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 or whoever, you know, um, that when that person's name is brought up, you just shut down. And, and you, and there's not one positive thought that's coming to your mind. And, and here's the deal. You, chances are we haven't even talked to them in the last two or three or five or 10 years. But when their name comes up, it's like, oh. And people know it. People see it on our faces. See, you know what that is? That's pride. That's thinking that we can read their hearts and only God can read people's hearts. Only God knows the hearts of men. And we need to see people in process. We need to think, not just, not just thinking of others more, but we need to think more of others. C.S. Lewis, great theologian, great author. Uh, he has a book called Mere Christianity, and he writes this. He says, do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, that he will be what most people call humble nowadays. Uh, he will not be a sort of greasy or swarmy person, swarmy meaning like really highly insecure who is always telling you that, of course, he's nobody. Probably all you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. And if you dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. But he will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. So C.S. Lewis, he, he, he writes that apparently there's, um, there's a connection between being humble and walking in humility and enjoying life easily. Because one of the benefits of humility is that we get to enjoy life because we're not so consumed with ourselves. We're not so preoccupied with ourselves. We'll never experience joy in this life. And joy doesn't depend on our circumstances. Joy is just we're comfortable with who we are, free from comparison, insecurity. And the key, the secret sauce of that is humility. And so Paul, he writes, and he says that there's freedom that comes from humility. Now let's look at the example of humility. Look at verse five. 
He says, in your relationships with one another, friendships, work relationships, school relationships, relationships at home, okay? In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God. Now let's, let's stop right there. Because Paul says, being in the very nature of God. And, and what, what Paul writes literally is the essence of or qualities which makes up something. That the word he uses, it literally means the essence of or qualities which make, makes up something. In other words, this is one of the strongest statements ever made in scripture that Jesus is God. Now, now, a lot of people think, well, you know, Jesus was a good teacher. Jesus was a prophet. Jesus was a rabbi. Jesus was this. He's a great humanitarian. He was a great social worker. But was Jesus God? This is one of the strongest statements about the deity of God. That, that Paul is saying that Jesus has the same unique qualities that make God, God. That Jesus has the exact substance, the exact characteristics, the exact qualities, the exact representation of the very being of God. In other words, what Paul is saying to his readers, to his listeners, is that Jesus uh, isn't like God. He, he's not a, you know, a cheap knockoff. He's not an off-brand. Uh, he, he, he's not a, a, a replication. He's not a, you know, a, a Xerox copy. He's not one-off. He, he is God, that Jesus is God. And, and that has a huge impact on our lives because how that should impact our lives is that if Jesus is God, then we need to start getting a little bit more optimistic about our lives. Because if Jesus is God, I mean, Jesus is a loving teacher. He says some harsh, harsh things. He says some hard things, but he's a loving teacher. Jesus is the guy that the kids are using as a jungle gym. That Jesus said, if you have any anxiety, any burdens, any stress, to cast those, get rid of those, put those, put those on him. Jesus says that, that his yoke is light, his, his beliefs are light, that he says he'll never leave us nor forsake us. Even when he's going to be, with, be in heaven, he, he, he says, hey, my father is sending the, the, my spirit to be with you. And, and if Jesus is God and Jesus you know, went into the tomb dead and came out of the tomb alive. Well, you know, that shows us that, that who wins in the end. And so that should impact our, our view of life. And if God is for us, then who can be against us? Okay, so thank you so much. And so, so Jesus, so the example that we see is Jesus is God, but not only is he God, but he also became a man. So verse six, who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. So he took on human nature. He didn't stop being God, okay? He didn't stop being God, but he took on human nature. And because God became human, he understands us. He gets us. Maybe you've seen the commercial. He gets us. In other words, let me ask you, have you ever felt betrayed by a friend? Jesus was betrayed. He knows how it feels. Have you ever felt so lonely, like there was nobody around? Maybe in a crowded room full, a room crowded full of people, you felt so lonely. Jesus knows what that feels like. Have you ever experienced the intense loss of a loved one? 
Jesus knows exactly what that feels like. He's been there. He knows what we're going through. So not only was Jesus God, but he was also human. But not only was he God, not only was human, but he was also a servant. Look at verse eight. It says, and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now think about this for a moment. Jesus leaving glory, being on the throne, comes to earth. He, he could have come as powerful. He could have come as wealthy. I mean, he could have come as a king, right? I mean, if you're gonna come from heaven, you're come to earth, come as a king at least. Or come as a military you know, leader, military general, a fierce warrior, right? Superhuman strength. Or, or, or come, as a, come as a politician that can unite everybody together. That'd be something. Think about that. A politician that actually unites somebody. Um, but he comes as a servant. Completely different from our culture. Because that's not what we would do. See, our story would be more like, you know, though we are not equal with God, we counted ourselves equality with God. That's totally opposite of Jesus. See, though Jesus was equal, he let go of the equality with God. He, he depended on the Father and he became a servant. He took the lower position. He gave up a high position and took a lower position. That is upside down in our world, right? Nobody wants the low position. We all want the high position. Though we are not equal with God, we grasp for equality with God. You say, well, Mark, I don't, I don't do that. Well, well, we do that anytime we read the Bible and we say, you know what? I know what the Bible says, but I'm gonna do what makes me happy. Anytime we say, I, you know what? I know, I know what the Bible says, but you know what? I'm gonna do what I want. We're saying we're equal with God. Anytime we say, I know what the Bible has said for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, but I believe I have a unique set of circumstances that exempt me from obeying this part of the Bible. We consider ourselves equal with God. You see, God is the ultimate authority in any time we, <coughs> we discredit his word, anytime we discredit his authority, we're counting ourselves equal with him. We try to, so hard to make ourselves somebody, but Jesus willingly made himself a nobody. He became a servant. And by doing so, he became completely dependent on the Father. By saying that I'm gonna be a servant, he became so powerful that he defeated sin and death. And the last thing that we see about humility is the blessing from humility. And he says, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at, that, name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. See, he did, God didn't just give him the name Jesus or Christ. He gave him the name Lord, meaning he is king of all kings. And he says that every, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Now as the band comes and gets us ready to take communion, let me just kind of share what that means. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. 
See, the, it takes humility to admit that we're sinners. It takes humility to admit that we can't save ourselves. We can't perform our way into God's good graces. It takes humility to say, I can't, but he can. And it takes humility to say, you know, Jesus, I've been trying to be Lord. I've been trying to be the ultimate authority. I've been trying to, to, to be good enough. But I realized today that, that you came, you left heaven and you, 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 you came not just as human, but as a baby. That's the weakest kind of human there is. And you didn't come in a rich family, you came in a poor family. And you came and you lived the life that I can't live, living the word of God, the law of God out perfectly. And, and, and you died the death that I deserve because I can't live this out. And so today I, I, I bow my knees and I confess with my tongue that you're Lord. Now, anybody who does that, the blessing of that is, is forgiveness of sin. It's eternal life. It's going, to be, it's going from being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive. It's becoming an adopted son or daughter of the one true king and having all the rights and privileges that go with our father's name. That's the blessing of humility. But here's the other side. If we don't humble ourselves and admit that and confess that and believe that and embrace that, the Bible says that when we die, we will all be in front of the judgment seat. And at that point, we will, we will realize that Jesus really is Lord. And we'll bow to our knee, we'll bow on our knees and we'll confess that. But the Bible says it will be too late. And at that moment, we'll be cast from the presence of God into eternity in hell, separated from anything good or anything loving. And I don't say that I don't say that to scare you. I don't say that to manipulate you. I say that because that's what the Bible teaches. And that's how, that, that, that's why we, are, we do what we do. And that's the message of hope that we have for this world that we need to take out and say, hey, here's, here's the deal. Here, here's, here's the way of eternal life. And we need to declare that and display the freeing power of the gospel. And so if you've never done that, I would love to talk with you. We're about to take communion. I'm gonna be down here. If you wanna talk about that or what that means, I'll be down here. We'd love to share, you know, Thomas or whoever, but they'll also be down here. We'd love to share, talk with you about that. But to ready our hearts for communion, I'm gonna ask those that are gonna serve, if you'll go ahead and get where you need to be, your stations. And, and this is how we do communion. It doesn't matter if today's your first time here, you've been coming here. It doesn't matter if you're a member here. We don't even have membership. Um, but what matters is have you humbled yourself and confessed that he is Lord? Have you, have you pledged your, have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? And if you are a child of God, not through what you've done, but through what you've confessed and what Jesus has done for us, come to the table of mercy. And you'll go to one of these stations and They'll have a piece of bread that represents the body of Christ and they'll give it to you. And, and it's just a reminder that the, and they're gonna tell you the body of Christ has been broken for you. And then you'll get a cup of juice that represents the blood of Christ. And they'll tell you the, the blood of Christ has been spilled for you. And we do this because Jesus, he, he goes to, to celebrate the, the Passover with his disciples on the Last Supper. And before he serves the supper, he, he takes on the role of the servant. And he, he removes his outer garments and he, 
and he gets in and, and, he, and he washes the disciples' feet, which was a role, which was something you did when people would come to your house. You would have the lowest of lowest servants wash your guest's feet. And so Jesus, he gets on his hands and knees and he goes from disciple to disciple washing their feet. And it's an outward symbol of what he's about to accomplish on the cross. He's not just gonna wash their feet, but he's gonna wash their soul clean from sin. And so that's the, that's the humility that we need to, to take is that Jesus humbled himself for us. We need to humble ourselves and confess that he is Lord. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much.